So How the Heck Are We Going to Get Along began as a podcast that would bring together panelists from across the political landscape who had differing and often opposing viewpoints and would allow them to kind of discuss issues face to face. And I was going to try to do my very best to moderate and kind of shed as much of my own bias as possible and work towards the goal of trying to see if there might be any way at all for disagreeing panelists to find common ground with each other on anything. And then we all know what happened next. COVID came along a few weeks into our run and it sent us all into hiding in our own homes. And we continued with the original format at first for the show. Um, We had the full panel of guests that disagreed, but we started to find out that more often than not, when several guests tried to discuss issues while they were sitting in their own living rooms or offices and they were hundreds of miles away from each other and they were only hearing audio, not being able to talk face-to-face, well, let's just say that is not the answer to how the heck are we going to get along. So partially because of COVID reasons and partially because some of the yelling really started causing hearing issues for me, we shifted the format to just one guest alone with me. So I get to own a little bit more of my bias now. And um, But the conversations are still really about our guests discussing what their thoughts are on why there's so much division in America. And we found through this sort of changed format that what so, so many of us have found around the country in our personal lives often is the case. In our personal lives, when you speak to people one-on-one, face-to-face, when two people can actually sit down together and have a discussion without feeling the need to perform for cameras or the microphones, oftentimes those folks even if they disagree on so much, are able to find ways to discuss issues and find common ground or disagree without being disagreeable. So perhaps maybe one of the answers after a year, one of the answers to our primary question, how the heck are we going to get along, possibly might be have more one-on-one conversations. So could an answer be to stop trying to talk about issues communally and instead do more one-on-one problem solving? But as with any experiment or hypothesis, you have to test the theory and put it through as many rigorous trials as possible. So over the past few weeks, I've asked the producers at Politicon to try as hard as they can to find a guest who will disagree with me as fervently as possible on any issue. Someone who is unapologetic, really, about their opinions and who would not hesitate to argue with me on anything. And they they tell me they have swung for the fences for this episode. So this week, I'm excited to talk to Politicon's guest, Judd Dunning. Judd is the president of DWG Capital. So he's an investment banker. That's a good start. Um, He's the host of Unapologetic with Judd Dunning, Unapologetic, that sounds promising. He's a frequent guest contributor on Newsmax TV. Mercy. And he's the author of the book, 13 and a Half Reasons Not to Be a Liberal and How to Enlighten Others. Um, So, uh, yeah, I think this one might strain the hell out of our hypothesis, and it should be good. I'm going to ask him if he knows any progressives at all that he likes and if there are any signs of hope that he sees for less division in America. And we will see together if he can help us answer the question, how the heck are we going to get along? Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How are you? I am well. Now, I am pumped that you could catch re- reschedule because I have been, I don't know if Dan told you, very much looking forward to this because our whole 
concept for the show is how the heck can we get along and talking to people with different views. And, you know, we started with this big panel thing and I was sort of moderating it. But over COVID, we have been gone to one-on-one interviews. And I started realizing, well, here's an easy way to get along. Just talk to people you agree with. That'll solve it all. And so that that's not what I want to do. Um, so right. I'm pumped that we don't, you know, I don't think we see eye to eye on everything. I've read a few things that you've um, written. Uh, but I do want to talk about them and figure out maybe there are some places where we agree. Um, I read some of your, your I, I guess it's satirical stuff. Um, yeah. Some of it I couldn't tell if it was satire or if it was re- like you really seriously meant it. <laughs> but so I just kind of wrote down some of the things that you talked about or touched yeah. on and whatnot and some issues. And I just want to get your thoughts on them and let's see where we go with it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I'll, I'll, I, won't, I won't prep or react to anything. First of all, I, it's fun to be on with you. If you'll remember when I was doing Politicon, uh, I did that movie, uh, CU News Goes to Politicon, which they screened there before the comedy show the year before. I stalked you, and you tried to be on my show. And I, it's, you were really busy that year. And that's what I'm like, Clay, i got to get you on the show. And I got, uh, I got a bunch, I got uh, Dan's dad and a bunch of people on there and uh, Carville. So you were a near miss that year, and we had met at Politicon. So anyway, it's fun to be well, here. Well, here we are. And whether we agree or disagree... I'll, I'll, I'd love yeah, to come hey on buddy, yours. I just want and, you to know, and we'll talk. My best friend is a Bernie Krat socialist. Uh, <laughs> well, that was so, one of my questions. I wanted to know yeah. if you knew any liberals you liked. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, the uh, your, I mean, your 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 book is it thirteen point five reasons why not to be a liberal, right? Um, thirteen and a half reasons why thir- not to right. be a liberal and how to enlighten others, right? And uh, so things are moving. Where did that title come from? What's the 13.5 thing? You know, um, I, I come from a family where there's been some suicide. And I think that one of the biggest uh, overlooked things that we have is you know, left and right is that we're moral secularism and moral relativism, some moral relativism versus moral absolutism. So if you really dumb down the trends of the marketed conservatism or liberalism, it's that things are relevant and things that are eternal aren't enduring and good. And we conservatives seek to conserve, right? That's kind of, how do you do that with being called, without being called white, patriarchal, racist, old fashioned is difficult for conservatives. And there was a show, 13 13 Reasons Why uh, for Kids, and it did glamorize suicide to a certain degree. And I have kids. And so I was like, yeah, that, that gets, that got my craw. So I just used a pop culture, you know, phenomenon as the premise of the numbers. Then I did a panel at Politicon and I kept pulling out, you know, from different people their thoughts and it, it, that's what happened. Okay, got it. I thought, I thought it had something to do with like a half marathon. I wouldn't know sure whether no, the half, the half is, <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, I, last, on that note, Clay, I, the half is abortion, which is a great place for us to start because I think abortion and li- life or choice is such a big question. It's not about two guys arguing conservative or liberal, it's, it's life. It's a little bigger than just politics. So the half reason was put last so people could listen to my conservative presentation, conservative versus liberal, and then get to life at the end. And I told a story where I went through a couple abortions when I was a liberal, and I, I felt I didn't have a voice. So I put that last so it wouldn't ha- people wouldn't close the book in the first chapter. Yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't have abortion on my list, but let's, we, we should, let's talk about it because that's one of those issues where my feeling is, maybe you disagree, um, that either position, 
whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, I think both of them have arguments that people can, that reasonable people can disagree on. Um, that if you are a pro-choice uh, voter and you believe that women do have the right to choose and you believe that that or should have the right to choose, and that doctor and medical decisions should be made with your doctor, et cetera. Um, that is a perfectly valid and strong argument on my part, on, on their part. Um, and I also understand why people who are against abortion would have a visceral reaction to the killing of a unborn fetus or baby. Um, and I have a lot of people in my life personally who I disagree with about you know, the right to choose and, and abortion rights, but I can see their side. And it's one of those issues where I totally am, I am pro-choice because I don't have a uterus and that's part of it. Um, and because I think that, you know, but to me, I can, I can understand why people would be viscerally opposed to it. Your position on abortion is? Yeah, well, my, my position on abortion is, let's talk, your show's about how can we all get along? So let's talk about the commonality. And the commonality is that there are a lot of Democrats uh, for life. And, you know, the parties have been radicalized by media, but the truth is there's a lot of Americans that really struggle over this. So my position, I have a little bit of a safety default position on this, is that, I, you know, I love abortion being left up to the states. Uh, I don't think the federal government should be involved. And as Ronald Reagan said, you can vote with your feet and go to another state and people are like, oh, well, if you're depriving poor people, they can't get it. There's organizations and NPOs before government did everything for us that can get people to the state next door to get an abortion should they wish. There are organizations. The Catholic Church still remains one of the biggest you know, uh, charitable organizations. There are people that would empower people to get uh, to abortion. So uh, they talk about access. But look at the great news in America is that in Georgia, it's now, uh, you know, it, it, we've gone into the illegality of abortion. In New York, it, you can abort at dilation. It's a horrible dichotomy of our views, but we should be torn apart on this issue. We're talking about taking a beating heart and life and soul, if you believe in the hollow souls concept in the Bible, I happen to be a Judeo-Christian, then in this body, and you're, what they say, some, some faiths believe it comes back and goes to another hall, hall you know, another soul, whatever. So many different beliefs on this that are complicated, but we should struggle over life. So I'm glad that we struggle over life. You know, if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, the ramifications are blown way out of proportion. What people don't understand, Clay, is that most, we're some of the most radically free to abort. Uh, societies in the world. We're already, like, American women are, are highly, highly allowed to do so. So many countries, like Sweden and Denmark and all these other countries we think are these socialist darlings, which is not really true, is that it's much more restrictive. After a few weeks, there's tests, there's costs, there's penalties. So, you know, we are in a noble struggle, if you want to talk about how to get along, about life. And if you make somebody the enemy, you know, then that's a problem because I think it's going to be ongoing. Now, I stand, I so, personally stand for life. Well, so I think that, I mean, I, I, hear, I hear all of those arguments. I totally do. But I guess the reason that I, I was okay with starting with abortion is not necessarily just because of that particular issue. But to me, it becomes incredibly frustrating to be able to look at someone who I disagree with on that particular issue, hear their arguments about that. And I'm not saying that this is what you're doing, because maybe you won't in a second. Maybe you will. <laughs> Lots do, though. And, and, and accept, okay, 
it sounded to me like your argument, tell me if I'm wrong, was more of a federalism argument. So leave these things up to the states if one particular state doesn't allow for that particular, allow for abortion under these circumstances, but another one does. There are ways to, I mean, it is still free. That federalism argument, I think, is somewhat, you know, again, I don't necessarily agree with it on that issue, but I can hear it. But then the problem becomes that that same sort of, the same people who make that argument about abortion are the people who want to ban same-sex marriage in all states or make a federal amendment to make either make a federal amendment to a ban same sex marriage or not be able not require recognition of it um they're the same people who are opposed to letting states make stricter gun control laws so i guess what frust- and and i'll say the democrats have the same problem um with saying well we believe a woman a woman should have the right to choose all over, but we, do, I mean, it's, it's, there's hypocrisy on both sides here. But how do you respond to the fact that those folks who say that, say, make that same federalism argument, which could be valid, don't make the federalism argument for so many other issues or actually oppose federalism in some places, in some areas? You know, I was talking to Dan before the show, and I, 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 my, my uh, argument was, I said, you know, I really don't know if we're supposed to get along right now. Not, that, not personally, but politically. I think those times are changing because we, you, you have a certain, I listened to you, one of your interviews, uh, one of your recent ones, and you said, I tend to align more with like MSNBC. You know, a lot yep. of what you hear there, you resonate with. You said that openly. And you know, I listen to it and I'm like, ah, oh, there's six or seven points of my platform that I believe in the individual liberty, faith, God, family, not that dem- good Democrats don't. I think hard progressives are a completely different story. And I think what we're doing is we could clump, it'd be really easy right now to call them those people being Trumpist, uh, racist, vac- non-vaxist. There's a, there's a real issue to, to, to clump issues together. And I think you just brought it up in a good and noble point, because those people's collective belief. You know, I think that people don't, I don't think Republicans and Democrats see each other properly. Look, I happen to be cosmopolitan, because I live here, but I'm from a small town of 400 people, and the wisdom of people across our state, the red states, the deplorables, the irredeemables that are clumped together, there's in the simplicity of whether life is good or whether relying on the government is good, most Americans are, are pretty good, and I do think they segment their beliefs. Yeah. I mean, well, but but then doesn't that kill that that particular argument? I guess I guess honestly and I get just going back to the abortion thing. No, not 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 the abortion thing necessarily, but I guess I my the th- I get so much shit from my own party also because they say that I'm too conservative or there are a lot of liberal friends of mine who tell who call me a dino just like the rhinos are. And I say it's not necessarily because I disagree with Anything, many things that the Democrats believe with, believe in, but it's that I just don't have patience for bullshit and hypocrisy. And I think that if we make an argument in one place, then we have to continue to make that same argument or stand up for it in other ways. And, and an example that's come up this past week um, specifically is um, the Obamacare decision that came from the U.S. Supreme Court uh, here, here in the last few days, where they essentially dismissed the lawsuit to override the Obamacare mandate. Uh, the Supreme Court dismissed it seven to two. And Amy Coney Barrett 
And Brett Kavanaugh and John Roberts all sided with the uh, three progressives on the court, right? And Clarence Thomas did too. But my point here is that Democrats screamed and shouted about the dangers and the horrors and how Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh would dismantle um, Obamacare. And yet they didn't yesterday when they had a reasonable opportunity to do so. So I am a person who will look at my fellow Democrats and liberals and say, why the fuck are we screaming fire until we know that there's going to, until we see a fire? Uh, Neil Gorsuch sided with the progressives to um, make it illegal to, to fire someone for their sexual orientation. When he was on the uh, stand in front of the congressional, in front of the Senate um, ju- Justice Com- Judicial Committee, people would have people acted as if though he was trying to burn gays at the stake. But Republicans do that too. And just this week, Mitch McConnell said Republicans would absolutely not give um, a vote to a Joe Biden nominee if it were to come while Republicans were in control of the Senate. And I wonder, like, are we just looking to be bitches now? Is that what we're trying to do? Is that, is that our goal? Are both sides just making every effort possible to be jackasses and not get anything done? <laughs> you know, it's great because there was that show, The Best of Enemies, where polarized pol- politics started, you know, back in like the 60s during the, uh, uh, the, the primaries and the conventions. Yeah, but Gore and, Vidal no- got along with... Uh- now I can't think of who it was, but you know, with uh, William F. Buckley, they ended up William being Buckley, friends. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. They, were they actually friends. got along. They liked the game, and you know, we're now the game is on steroids. So, uh, the answer to your question, I think the answer is yes. But you brought us something really important, Clay, and that is, is that you know, America is a, is a it's a federal registry. It's not just what we hear on the news. It's what laws, what legislation, what executive orders are passed through that restrict the fact that I can't buy a certain light bulb down the street or have a second shower valve in my back property because my liberty has been restricted. So I Is that hyperbole? What's that? Is that hyperbole? Because I, I was following you all through that conversation, all through that line, until you said, because my liberty is being restricted. And those, those particular... Well, regulations that you were talking about are EPA regulations, right? I'm well, assuming. One day, one day in the federal registry through or, or the state registry, something becomes inaccessible to individual choice, like a light bulb. Or abortion. Like, uh, you know, there are small things that eventually we want to watch our courts. So let me cut through to, it wasn't her probably because the next point that I'm making. And the next point is that you know, you're talking about the courts as the, as the main stage where things are happening. But look what just happened with, with, look, Obama for us was tough because of what we felt was ideological overreach of his vision for America. And then what did, what did Biden do? He came in and just on steroids, Trump did like 14 in the time he did 38. Uh, executive orders for a progressive agenda. And it was, we were suddenly told like, hey man, you know what, you, you, you back this guy and now it is war on the hill. And that is the message that he sent. That was, a, that was extreme, that was FDR. He was only two executive orders short of the greatest executive order push. I mean, how do you see that from our point of view, Clay? How does, you know, you're saying, are we being bitches? I would say that- No, you know, I didn't Biden say, are you being bitches? That's that it's our, just let's be, let's be clear though. I didn't say- you, as in Republicans and conservatives, being bitches. I said Understood. you, as in everybody, because I agree that all of them have. I'm, I'm, I'm 
doing a little research real quick here on uh, Donald Trump's number of executive orders because I would be fascinated to see it. I don't know off the top of my head how many he did. Um, but I know there were quite a few in that were signed early on. Time, in the speed of time. Okay. But, I mean, listen, I, I think that the argument about executive orders is a valid one if everyone's held to the same standard. Um, so that's why I want to check on Trump's, um, because he did quite a few also. I mean, the executive order thing is a legal mechanism. And if we are going to allow our presidents, meaning Obama, Biden, um, if we're going to allow Democrat presidents to do it, then we have to be willing to allow Republicans to do it as well. There are, as we've heard many times, elections have consequences, you know. So if if we are okay with Obama doing them, then we can't bitch about Trump doing them. But my argument simply is, if Republicans are going to let Trump do them or let Bush do them, then they ain't, can't bitch about. I mean, it's just got to go both ways, right? So if if speaking of court nominees. If there is a understanding that it's okay to push through a judicial nominee or a Supreme Court nominee two weeks before a presidential election, then that's got to be the new standard, does it not? I mean, are, are, do we become yes, incredibly you hypocritical? Validated, you validated the most important point at the very beginning which is that the people we put in office that were going to stand for further voting integrity, and, and I'm, I'm not a radical, I'm a rationalist. Uh, our Supreme Court kept shooting down all these challenges to the electoral process, for example, right? And uh, they've continued, the people that Trump put in office, they've continued to legislate for the people. So I think the greatest thing you said in the show is, wow, I, I'm a liberal and I'm not too upset with these people. But when it was happening and it was like, Gorsuch is a rapist and she is a baby killer. And we're just getting all this like, what? and they've, they've both done noble work so far in the Supreme Court. So, so I, I guess I'm what I, okay. So, so we might find a place to agree here too, which is obviously the goal. And it may kill the hypothesis that I had, but um, that when people talk to each other, they get along, but they don't elsewhere. But, if what I'm hearing from you is correct, then that would suggest to me that you would be willing to commit that when Joe Biden nominates a Supreme Court justice, perhaps as soon as the next few months, if Stephen Breyer retires, that Republicans should not, and hopefully you would not, immediately jump to the conclusion that that person's going to be the end of America, right? I would look into that person's individual merits, of course, and then, um, maybe, and then maybe say they'd be the end of America? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> because oh, cause, cause I think Democrats yeah, would yeah. argue, well, we did that with, with um, Gorsuch as well. And we thought he'd be, you know, I mean, it's, but I had a hard time getting on board with screaming and shouting over Gorsuch and, and even Kavanaugh simply because I just was like, I don't know what the is going to do. You know, <laughs> I don't know what he'll do when he gets on there. Coney Barrett was a little different because I found like ridiculous amounts of hypocrisy in not approving a Supreme Court justice. Clay, you're, you're a genuinely nice, likable. That is not true. All of the producers on this show just dropped their phones. I, I've seen you stressed. You're, you're, you're a good human being, my friend. You've inspired a lot of people. My kids were obsessed with you. So I'm telling you, the fact that you're able to keep that openness right now, 
is it, 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 it just, it's a merit to you because look, the way I see it, we're Minutemen again. There's a long line of soldiers with muskets. There's a long line. It's a civil, it's a civil war. It's the British American war. And right now you have a series of principles that you believe in. But and is it because you believe in, you believe in pro-choice. You're going to believe in a bigger government and a, a potential is a better way to advance our society. You believe that you should protect the climate. You believe in unions to protect the oppressed. You believe in people uh, having uh, universal health care. You believe that racism is rampant and that you believe that there are possibly... Well, you're throwing a whole bunch of things out that you don't know about. So um, I'm just uh, saying that's the liberal platform. <laughs> well, you said you, you, you. Would, the reason I would stand against uh, probably a nomination from Biden is right now he is a progressively hard left by committee, it seems to us. We don't see a lot of individual moderation. This guy seems irritated to have to talk to the center. Let so me let me ask let me ask this because I disagree does. with that. I want to I want to I'm not going to I'm not going to take the compliment that I'm nice because I'm not always. Um, but I appreciate you thinking so. But I will I will say I will say that the things that I hear you appreciating will say about me are the same things that my fellow Democrats don't like about me because I. I'm just like, listen, y'all, we, we just said this. We can't turn around and change our minds. So I want to know if you can appreciate those things, the fact that I'm willing to be patient with a Gorsuch or a Kavanaugh, if for no other reason than I'm stuck with them, and that's just what it's going to be, so I better make the best of it. If I'm willing to be patient with those things, if I'm willing to say, uh, you know, I can see this argument on the other side, and you call that principle or whatever you want to call that in me— why not feel the same way about a Brian Kemp or Raffensperger in Georgia when they say, no, there was no fraud in this election? Or, or Doug Ducey in Arizona when he says, no, we're not going to continue down this rabbit hole of a, you know, saying that there was fraud in the Maricopa County election. Aren't they doing the same thing on the Republican side that I'm doing on the Democrat side? Aren't they pissing off their own party? Because they feel like, you know what? No, there is a point where bullshit is too much. And no, the Maricopa County election was not fraudulent. No, the Georgia recount that we undertook was not fraudulent. Brad Raffensperger is likely to lose his seat next year, right? Because he probably won't win a primary, mostly because Republicans are pissed at him for doing what he thought was the right thing. If it's good for me to do it, why isn't it good for them to do it to you? If it's good for you to do it. If it's good for me to disagree with my party sometimes and right. say, you know what, there's a point where even my own team is doing some bullshit. If it's okay for me to do that and you like that, then why, when they do it on the Republican side, do you not? You know, Trump awoke conservatism in a different way. You know, I, I, I stumped for... Romney, and uh, I remember door knocking through Ohio where every family was split up, and I, I stumped for McConnell. And I did it in, in a certain revulsion to uh, love things in conservatism that I wasn't, ha you know, I wasn't happy with. And that was kind of the old, uh, older generations uh, stayed politics as usual. So right now you've got an energized conservative base that wants to keep that nationalism, populism, which isn't a bad thing to be nationally pride. I mean, it says yeah. in the Bible, take your, do not hide your light under a bucket, but take it out of the world, let it shine. He basically, the whole concept of greatness and patriotism, it was not a Trump thing. It's a divine thing that we just, 
we stoked up to, uh, to, you know, to change a vision for America, there was, uh, we felt that there was a lot of America, our experience was there was basically Obama was, it was a lot of Amerishaming, I call it. It was like, you know, we're good people, but we're racist. We're good people, but we hate the climate. We're good people, but we really don't care about each other. We're good people. And basically, we should be ashamed at the UN. And so there was a real uh, recovery. Like, I, I would say that Obama's ideology, the pressure it created on the right, created our desire for Trump. And I don't think uh, Democrats... So listen, we agree, I, we agree in the sense that, yes, nationalism and patriotism should not be something that is in... in people should be embarrassed by, nor is it a negative. And I think that, I think that even, you know, I can, I am proud to be an American. I love this country. I, we disagree on whether or not, um, uh, we disagree on whether or not Democrats or Barack Obama or Joe Biden thinks that America should be ashamed of itself, because I think that, again, is also hyperbole. But that really wasn't the question, because I, I mean, I want you to kind of bring oh, the plane on. in the, for his, landing. Look, and, the UN transcript <laughs> was the most aberrant thing I'd ever heard. I was when Trump said how great we were, I was uncomfortable because he went a little bit too far. When Obama said how many problems we had and chided his own nation from there, I mean, that happened on paper. That's not hyperbole. There was a general dynamic. The Sharpton holder, they missed this, they missed this opportunity, Clay. They Speaking mi of missed South. opportunities, you're missing an opportunity to tell me why, you don't, why it's not okay for Republicans to say... To, to, to disagree with their own party. I mean, because I know yeah, you're headed there and I, I interrupted you. I'm trying you. to get there and say this. If you let me just finish this point. The yeah, point yeah. is, I don't think you guys take enough responsibility that the Obama ideology years were, Trump came out of that as a reaction. And now Biden has come out of the Trump years as a reaction, right? There's extreme reactions. We, it's hard that, for yes. us to stand against this and, 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 and pass it away when it energized the base. So we are eating our own when they break with this party line because we'd like to get back into power. And look, we lost the executive and legislative branch. I believe there was election contamination. I, I'm a rationalist, not a radicalist. I'm not a seditionist. I just saw some, I, I saw people hated Trump so much that every, it was the constant fuel of the flame was a distraction from our national vision. We went too far. I think what we can learn as conservatives is there's a point that if we go too far that we alienate the, the middle of America, it happened under Trump. But I think the aberration of mail-in ballots, I mean, Biden got on the, Biden, I want to go with this for a second. I mean, Biden got on the thing, he's like, vote. He's like, vote right now, vote from the mail. And they said in time, we captured mail-in ballots to take over the United States. It was said openly. That brings up fear for a lot of us. We're like, that didn't feel like a normal thing, like the average person just going and checking. So we're just checking it. Nobody says that we have to take the presidency back. But conservatives are concerned with the integrity of the future. And I think we're being called like racist and Trumpist and all these names for just checking it out. So, you know, that's why we're going after the people that break with it, because your MSNBC or CNN model will instantly grab the breakaway person and say, see, all the Republicans are wrong. And that's the media cycle. That's not Clay. That's not Judd. That's the media cycle. So we have to take those guys down because they invalidate, you know, 85% of the party's beliefs. So first of all, I love you for giving me so much um, to unpack here. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, there's so many things I want to come to that, that you just discussed. Um, one, it sounds like I almost heard an acknowledgement that we're not going after those people because they're wrong. We're going after them because they disagree with the majority of the party. Um, 
that's what it sounded like to me. We're going after them because most of us want to keep that nationalism and that Trump vibe in the Republican brand, and they dispute it. Um, am I, did I hear that wrong? No, you didn't. 85% so then of, it isn't. Uh, so then it isn't necessarily about whether or not what they're saying is accurate or right. It's about the fact that it is not what everybody else believes. Yeah, right? it, it, this would be a gotcha moment if I didn't. No, wait, I'm, not, I'm not trying to gotcha. No, but, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I like it. I like it. I'm saying it would be a gotcha moment if I agreed with them, but I don't agree with them. You know, I've, I've written a number of articles on this. I've done a ton of research. So, you know, it's interesting, Clay, because you and I can jump into the internet for 13 pages and find what we want to find now. There's a, there's a, there's a channel called Ground News, right? There's a new app, which I, I have to Actually, pitch. I think I have that. I think I looked it yeah, up. Yeah, and if you tap it, if you tap it, it has middle, center, right, and it breaks it into different views. And you can tap on the same story and read it. Now, I'm reading everything, and I promise the people that I get on to Newsmax and everything that I do, that I promise I'm reading both sides, and I'm making sure that I do. And the extreme variation of facts is making this more and more difficult. Like, we wouldn't have had this discussion 20 years ago as intensely. Well, so why, do, why are there different facts on the right and the left? Facts are facts, aren't they? Not the, right. Alternative facts are, are, are now facts. So are they, though? I, I mean, no, that's a serious no. question. I'm not. OK, they're not. There are just facts, right? Are there ultimate truths? Absolutely. That I, for me, that is what my life is about. Is Can I two things be true at the same time? Can two different things be true at the same time? Can two different things be true? Depending on how many facets the issue on a soul issue, I write. Okay, say, so could soul. there, for example, could there have been some trouble and fraud in the election, but at the same time, not widespread trouble and fraud, not enough fraud to have over to have changed the outcome of the election? And this is why we have an electoral college. Why do we want to get rid of this? Let me ask you another question. Well, I don't think that's why we have an electoral college. It's why we have votes and we have vote it's counting. Of, well, if you go to the original, uh, the but original if, intent of the electoral college is also to spread the vote as well as protect people from Right, from but, it's, but that doesn't have anything to do with fraud. So fraud itself, if... if so well, no, the reason I asked that question... Steal, there's a great... You know, Prager ties. It made it harder to steal the vote. Back in. And also, it, it spreads the vote across the nation, not just... I'm not, you're not going to get me to disagree with the electoral college. I'm, again, okay. against my... I disagree with so, my anyway, party on that. So I'm... Um, Back to my, your point. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, but that, that's something that Bill Barr himself said, Trump's attorney general, who Democrats demonized and hated for a long time. And I'll say I didn't really like him myself. But he himself said there was evidence of some mismanagement, some, some evidence of fraud, but there was not enough to have changed the outcome of this election, and it was not widespread. There was no evidence of widespread fraud in the election. And, you know, anytime I hear a Democrat be willing to speak out against Democrats, I listen a little bit more carefully because I want to say, I want to know, okay, why did they find, why did they step out and have the balls to speak out against their own party? Um, when it does no, nothing to help them. Um, it's one of the reasons that I think Joe Manchin has had found success in getting some people on both sides to listen to him. But when Bill Barr steps out and says, no, I'm sorry, the guy who gave him a job, <laughs> who if he were to win, I would keep my job, um, 
is wrong. There hasn't been widespread fraud. What motivation does somebody like that have to say something like that? I can understand even the most insane idea that, yes, there are some Democrats who hated Donald Trump so much that they, were gonna, they would do anything in the world to make sure he lost. But Bill Barr didn't have that motivation, did he? Brian Kemp didn't have that motivation. If it, but that was given the information at the time. I mean, there's a North Carolina judge that just went through thousands of ballots to say these look photocopied and is making inquiries in North Carolina right now. And then Democrats are grabbing that and saying, oh, well, yeah, let's try to flip it over. Let's try to flip it over. Let's try to start flipping states over to Biden. I mean, so even Democrats are acknowledging fraud by saying that, oh, OK, you want to audit? Let's audit. So Bill Barr. Well, but they're saying time, let's audit because they don't believe there was fraud. No, You're America, talking to somebody who's America in North Carolina choose, right now, so okay, I, I know what choose, happened. <laughs> America will choose stability over justice at times. We are a very fragile nation. The, Democrat, the, the people in the Supreme Court that you just mentioned, you know, that have been protecting the vote, it's, it's particularly not something that's handled by the Supreme Court. They don't want to get involved in, the, in, in an issue of federalism. That's going to change if HR1 goes through or SR1 now that they're trying to push through. But the, look, at, look at what, who do we save in the crash? You know, we didn't save Bear Stearns, well, right? We saved Goldman Sachs. We went for stability. Our nation was on the edge of actually revolution at this. We, it got serious for us. And so, you know, Bill Barr came out at the time, hey, there's not enough information at that point. But information continues to come out. And it needs to be for guys like me, the, you know, the other people down the street, your neighbors. Uh, half of us want to know that we're absolutely, absolutely clear. Just like when gay marriage went through, that was a major law. Conservatives like, oh, it's legislatively clear. God bless all gay marriage. Let's, let, who cares? It's, it's now the issue is not that I, you know, I'm not talking about my position. Don't feel like that. that's exactly what they said. And if they had, there would not have been further cases involving it. But to your point about stability, so it sounds like, I, 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 let me follow that argument with you for a minute. America chooses stability over, what was it again? America chooses Just, stability chooses over... Chooses stability over justice in certain chooses situations. Chooses stability over justice in certain situations, maybe in times of crisis, you use the uh, crash in 2008 as an example. Um, but, but wouldn't stability have been sticking with the same administration that was already in power? If they were going to choose stability, wouldn't that not be the way to choose stability? It sounds like America may have chosen stability and may have chosen that perhaps Joe Biden was more stable than Donald Trump was. If they had chosen stability, if, I mean, to, if, if your argument, to make your argument true, they would have had, you would have to be saying that Donald Trump won because keeping the same administration would be the stability, right? I think, I think that's a sharpshooter and a black and white ideological fallacy because you're taking part of the statement and saying that no, the stability was to keep our nation in electoral... Pro I mean, the AP called, early called, this election for Biden. And then everybody else jumped on and called it for Biden because the way that the votes As actually Fox, came in. Right, our question is, are, did those votes come in because they were... Some weird stuff happened, Clay. Come on, we shut down. There was fires. I mean, there were, there were uh, sprinklers. There was people pulling out uh, ballots. And remember, here's the thing to remember, the rationalist in me, just, I want to get to your heart on this one, is, you know, when Bush Gore went into December 26th, I mean, that was just a handful of votes, less than a thousand votes. Yeah. You know, if you look at state by state, 
This, this was like 60,000 votes, man. This was not a huge amount of votes. And he said, before, and then there were the sudden spikes. Now, I went, I went through this. There were 30 anomaly, uh, um, um, anomalies to the voting process that all happened within the same 48 hours that had never been broken before. So statistically, there were aberrations. So that there, actually happened. You can't tell was, me, with there were a lot of your opinions, you can't say that 30, 30 statistical norms were all broken because mail-in ballots and COVID. So there we're were, like, okay, that was a unique situation. Let's just vet that. Doesn't mean I'm a seditionist. In 2016, there were just as many people who hated Donald Trump as there were in 2020. And there were probably more people who hated Hillary Clinton in 2016 than certainly than hated Joe Biden. Was, was there the same sort of fraud in the election in 2016? Well, that's what we talked about. Like, look, this may be, look, we're so focused on systemic racism, racism, which I negate. No, well, you have evi- you say that you can see exactly where the fraud was in 2020. Like, you know, in places to go recount, et cetera. Where were, was there that similar sort of evidence in 2016 of fraud or did it yeah, just okay. happen in so 2020? Let me tell you where I was in t- 2016. I was uh, in Ohio. And suddenly uh, buses of predominantly ethnic Americans arrive and 15 of us had gone to door knock. So we set up our chairs and uh, we sat there and we watched people brought in by organized, just rotating in, idealists, people voting multiple times, going to other tables. I mean, I've you know, seen, this was in Ohio in 2016? In Dublin, yeah. I've okay. seen actual but that, But that was fraud. a state, that was, well, well, so my question then is why didn't Republicans go after the fraud then? Why weren't they upset about it then? If there was well, fraud in 2016, if you saw it in Ohio then in 2016, why not go after it? Or was it because, okay, well, we won this one, so we don't care about it. I mean, is it possible that Democrats don't care about fraud now because they happen to win, so they don't care about it? I think you're putting out a, high, a moral high ground argument. I just insulted my own party. I just gave you that, right? I think there's something, there's nothing broken in the ethics of the conservative right on some kind of selfish, blind agenda. I mean, Trump was a phenomenon for this country, and he had like 378 positive achievements that get buried under the things that happen in trade, the things that happen in employment, the things that happen with defense. There were a lot of very positive things happening that weren't changing under politics as usual. Is it possible that he did... about him being a racist, so... It was, we is it possible alienated. that he did a lot of great things that conservatives really like? Listen, at the end of the day, as I said earlier, elections have consequences. And no, I didn't agree with Donald Trump on a whole ton of his policies, right, and his positions. I also didn't agree with George W. Bush on his policies and positions. Um, And I certainly don't expect you or other conservatives to agree with Obama or President Biden. But these are the things that happen, right, when someone gets into office, especially if they have control of all three, you know, of both houses of the legislature and, and the White House. Um, is it possible, though, that someone could be a very, very good president to you and to other conservatives, but still not have satisfied more than 50 percent of the population? Statistically, there's no other American presidency that would fall into that category. I mean, we, every, everybody is, look at, look at the approval ratings. Everybody's always unhappy. This is right, a great but thing. I, I would argue that George H.W. Bush did things that made a lot of people 
on the Republican side incredibly happy and made a lot of people on the Democrat side probably not as happy, but universally is respected and liked. And yet he still lost his reelection simply be- and no one screamed. I guess, my, I guess the larger point I'm trying to make is, aren't we always going to scream something was amiss when we lost? You know, no one ever says, oh, my God, I just won this election, but we should recount it. I've never heard anybody say, let's recount an election if they've won. It's always the person who's lost who wants a recount, right? Isn't that normal? Democrats scream and holler that we need to get rid of the Electoral College. Well, one day it might help us. Um, <laughs> who knows? And Republicans, Democrats, Democrats and Republicans, both Democrats, especially right now, dislike gerrymandering and Republicans do like gerrymandering, except for in Maryland and Illinois, where it doesn't work for them. In those cases, it's bad. You know, so aren't we always just going to scream that there's fraud if fraud, the presence of fraud would benefit us? Look, they want to get rid of the, ele- the Electoral College, Let's, if you're going to put that out there, because the cosmopolitan blue areas of concentrated population would walk over America. So we know that. And gerrymandering, listen, there's a great website, Represent Us, and Represent Us says there's three major problems out there, gerrymandering, ca- uh, campaign finance, and, and one other. And it's basically, we have, pro- uh, we have problems together. Oh, the debt. We have problems together. You and Clay, Clay, you and I need to get out of debt 28 million bucks. We have problems together. But what is Biden doing right now for me? So let's flip it over. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, uh, well, let's see. You were going to say one other thing. Uh, anyway, what is he doing for me? Like, what has he said for the middle of America that's positive for conservatives where he's, he's showing care? I, mean, I feel like he's kind of at war and dismissing the conservative right. He's not talking to America. Trump was trying to talk to America more. I, I don't think that uh, I'm not inspired. So inspire me for a second, you know, uh, why I shouldn't be upset that I lost. But I do think, I, I do think very clearly, uh, I think there was election fraud. I'm still going to, I, I want to know. Everybody wants to know. So let us run the process. Is there, is there any, process? Is, well, the process is running in Arizona right now, as we it's speak. It's going to go it? to North Carolina, Michigan, Wisconsin. If a tree catches a tree on fire by another tree, there might be a forest fire. And what's America Well, I mean, again, I don't, like, let, the, let I don't like the slippery slope arguments in anything because I think that, that they're reckless and it's I don't good. think We're that they... We're ideological fallacy in each other. That's good. <laughs> well, I, well, I don't know that necessarily they... I don't think it'll come to North Carolina. And when it does, I'll have you back on and we'll talk about it. Or I'll come to your Thanks, show and we'll sir. talk about it then. But, um, the, but I, I, I do got so many things. I'm really loving this, by the way. This um, uh, it's a, I want to talk about, you asked about Biden and trying not to, trying to see if there's anything that you could do that would, that I could say that he's done that would not, that shows he speaks to conservatives. Um, You know, I would argue one thing, um, which I happen to agree with him on. I mean, you're talking to somebody who is uh, openly a Biden, Biden sexual. I am a absolute in love (laughs) with Joe Biden, always have been. So I'll admit that up front. But one of the reasons I do like him is because, you know, to me, you talked about Obama, Trump being a reaction to Obama and Biden being a reaction to Trump. And as a Democrat, my fear, honestly, straight up, openly talked about it here, was that um, Democrats might react to Trump by allowing the pendulum. If, if Obama was seen as, as here to conservatives and Trump was seen as here to 
to liberals, I was afraid that, that you know, Democrats were going to go even further and this swing would get more and more dramatic. And I was thrilled that Democrats chose Joe Biden because he was not the reaction. He was not the, the physics reaction. Um, in fact, he was Democrats trying to bring things a little bit more back to the middle. He has been from the beginning um, against getting rid of the filibuster. He said he was opposed to removing the filibuster. Um, he, I mean, he has compromised in several ways, even the, th- even the packages for COVID that um, Republicans probably are not happy about, um, or the infrastructure package. He spent a great deal of time with, um, uh, gosh, I can't think of her name from West Virginia now, um, Senator... Uh, We'll edit that in and make me sound smart later. Um, the senator, for, the Republican senator from Arizona, uh, from West West Virginia, to try to compromise uh, on that package. So he has himself tried to do a little bit more compromising. Um, and you also talked about HR one, SR one. Um, so let's swing into that a little bit, and obviously feel free to respond to the Biden stuff too. But uh, you know, Joe Manchin has said all along that he was not going to support H.R. 1 or S.R. 1 uh, if it came to the Senate. But this week, he released what he called a compromise, um, uh, a voting rights bill that sort of combined the John Lewis uh, voting rights bill with H.R. 1, S.R. 1. And it kind of got swift rebuke from Republicans also. So is there simply, is, 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 are we simply at a place both with Joe Biden, who most Americans, I think, see as not being an extremist, um, and Joe Manchin, who truly cannot be argued is an extremist? Um, is there just no such thing as the middle anymore? If people are trying to be moderate, are they going to automatically be demonized as radicals by the other side, no matter what? The analysis of the left is that the 6% of your party, that is the hard progressive left, has a disproportionate amount of influences and alienating, as far as I've done my research, about 26% of your party with their policies. So there's definitely a crisis in the Democratic left, as there is a crisis, but a smaller one, in the conservative right with the, those that aren't aligned with Trump. I'm in a political group for 15 years. And, Liz uh, Cheney might not call it a smaller one, but I'll, I'll cede your point because yeah. you, you criticized yeah, a little exactly. bit on the right. Liz Cheney would be the spearhead of, of that problem for us, you know, and I'm going to say for us because I'm aligned. I'm aligned. I, I like Trump and DeSantis is uh, gnome. I like, uh, I, I think Pompeo would be a great, uh, a great leader. But, um, you know, there is a real issue of, who's in charge of the Democratic Party for us, and we see that alienation. So it's hard to trust that Joe's a moderate. And I will say, I know his whole, I know his whole history. Which Joe are we talking about here? Joe Biden. I, okay. I, know, I know his history, and uh, I agree that you put him in office because you thought he was actually less hard-left progressive and representing more of America. But he's pretty weak. I mean, we're not seeing some, we never had a president saying, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. He's not in his power the way Trump was. Just on an external point of view, just being an American citizen doesn't seem to me that in his administration that he's absolutely in charge. So it feels like elements that aren't aligned with your core base 
have a lot of influence. The things that I've seen Joe do is destroy oil jobs. I've seen him accommodate China. I've seen him back off in the Iran deal. In the first hundred and what? 160 days that he's been in office? You've seen that already? I know, but that's, that's what he said. Come on, 120. But he's setting that tone. Let me just finish. Is what he did with guns and uh, was very aggressive. You know, uh, what wait, he wait, did with in this first, we're talk- what, he's only he, been president since January. What did he do with guns? I know, critical race theory is definitely on a run and climate is being accommodated. I think climate's the biggest burn of money we, 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 can, we can take on right now. We set it on the side. Did you notice you guys let go of climate for a while because you couldn't have climate through the Paris Accord? It, be, it became a political tool. It, it, it's a, look, I love, I love nature, but we need to fix it in a rational time. We don't need to destroy oil jobs and gut energy independence. It took us 76 years to get to energy independence. So I'm not seeing a rational president from a right-leaning point of view. And I like this conversation, Clay. I'm not here to like get in your face or have, but I want to hear what you have to say because, you know, we're unhappy too. Well, I mean, well, I'm wondering as I hear you say these things, if we're not at a place where maybe at some point we all have to just accept we're going to be unhappy and going to disagree with a president if they aren't in our party. I mean, I, I hear the things that you're saying, and I recognize that they are not. I mean, w- the nice thing about this country is we do have checks and balances. We do have a system in place where not only are there three separate branches, but even within one of those branches, there are two separate houses that things have to go through, both of them. And in one of those houses, you have to get 60% of the... I mean, our system is set up in such a way that it is really tough to get things passed. It's not as simple as Joe Biden being president and saying, here's what I want to do. And simply because they, ha- they happen to have a majority in the legislative branch, things get passed. Anything that gets passed, including most of the stuff in his first hundred and however many days we're at now, had to pass his desk through the House, through the Senate, where it had to get more than 60 votes with a few exceptions, and then it had to be signed by him. We're not talking about some sort of dictatorship where he is in control of everything or where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Cory Bush are in control of everything. We're talking about a system that was set up to make it deliberative and that every law that gets passed has to have some sort of... Um, uh, like, like can't just be enacted without any deliberation. And yes, when Donald Trump was president and Republicans controlled both the House and the Senate, that made my stomach turn a lot because there were things that they did that I really didn't agree with. But it was difficult for me, as a per- just me, to say, well, this is absolutely anathema to what everybody in the country wants, because at the end of the day, they controlled that Republicans controlled the House and the Senate because they were voted for. And I criticize my own party often for not making stronger arguments. Um, Is it not possible that maybe Republicans didn't win some of these elections because their arguments weren't strong enough? Sure, of course, there's a system. But you, since you're talking about the system, I think a really important thing for us to know why you think it, you know, even though we have these three branches, there were over 300 pieces of legislation that were by, passed by both parties that went to Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi's desk during the Obama years that were the process called black hold. They were just killed, right? 
So there, you can use executive orders, you can black hole bills, and you can shut down the process. You're right. You're so, absolutely right. And I think Merrick Garland would be the person who could tell us most about that because Republicans have done it too. And you'd agree with that, yeah? I would absolutely agree okay. with that. And that's what I'm saying is, like, we are going to be, as this, you know, and not to mess up your theme of your show, this will be like, maybe we can't get along. The more no, work I that I so. do, buddy, I was a lifelong liberal. I was a socialist, in, in a matter of fact. I, I Everybody's a socialist I, when they're in their teens and 20s. It's, it's, right, it's required. Right, right, right. Until they get that first tax <laughs> bill, then they're like, you know, Trump. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, but I didn't go that is, far. <laughs> right now, look, look the tax top, top, top tax bracket, and in in, I'm in California nationally now, between uh, federal and state is 56%. Why stay in California? Most people, I've, I've been told by so many of my other conservative friends that California is a liberal hellhole and everybody's leaving it. Why are you still there? Why haven't you left yet? I surf. <laughs> it's no. that easy. Well, I'm Georgia's, Georgia's got beaches. Georgia and Florida have beaches too. South Carolina's got plenty. Have, but you don't have swell, man. I Listen, <laughs> I will say I'm already, I'm moving. Uh, we're talking about moving six months a year to another place. And I go there and I'm like, oh, California is amazing. So you know, uh, the bottom line, my uncle said something great. He was head of vice president. He was vice president of Merrill Lynch for 42 years. And he says, you know, no matter who's in party, he goes, taxes go up and say, we'll just work harder. That's the American way. So, you know, you just got to work harder during the thing that what we're going. And I, look, back, this is a perfect point, pivot point for this. The supply side, I'm economics background. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a top five institutional real estate firm. I opened my own firm. I've been in the, in the real estate markets for a long time. And, you know, the, 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 the nation shifts between supply side and Keynesian theory. Now, everyone's like, oh, that's the supply side. It's trickle down. And then you guys come in and it's, oh, no, big government spending. Is, but you know what? Our nation is like a huge aircraft carrier. And it's more, it, it turns very slowly. Neither of our parties are going to take down this nation. But the thing that both, both sides need to talk about is the debt. Clay, do you remember the main issue of like four election cycles ago was always the debt. Where is the debt gone as an expression of national security? Why are we mortgaging our kids' futures? Why are we spending? And I think Biden... And what would, what would, the, what, what would the response that you would expect from a Democrat be to that question? Well, I'm just going to jump to Biden. I think Biden needs to get, out, get his foot off the gas pedal. No, well, I want to ask you what the, what the response would be. Do you think that would be when someone said about... about what? No, from a Democrat to the Senate, you just said about um, th- how much debt we're in, et cetera. Um, what, do you, can you predict what I'm about to say? <laughs> I guess that's what I'm asking you. Sure. You go back to the, the, the quickest place you go back to is the end of the Bush era during the crash, because we, we took this massive step of government intervention instigated by, by, the, by the right. Guess well, no, what? I wasn't going to do that. I was going to ask you about the enormous growth to the deficit and the debt under the Trump administration and the massive amounts of spending that were enacted during the Trump administration that were perfectly acceptable then. But now, in 160 days, apparently, Biden's spending is just out of control and debt and debt is out of control. I have your answer uh, as an econ guy. Uh, Reagan and Thatcher, supply side. That what happened is they hit austerity later in the in the game, and the, the big recovery of a supply side approach is in the second four years historically. 
if he had stayed in office, where employment were going, where trade was going, how did Clinton get rid of the debt? We all know, right? Big, it wasn't his, just his fiscal uh, conservatism, which he and George Bush Sr. had and JFK had. How did Clinton get rid of the debt? Big tech boomed. It boomed right in the middle of, of what he was doing. And the new tax basis wiped out our debt with some good spending and good policies. Well, so I mean, some, entitlements listen, are still getting too that's big. The, that's the fascinating thing about all of these political arguments and where I, I, I think I both hate, I hate hypocrisy and I also think absolutism is just irresponsible because anybody who, well, you say amen, but you're absolutely sure that there was fraud. So um, <laughs> that makes me wonder if you I'm really hate absolutism sure, as much. I'm not absolutely sure on absolutely everything. Okay. But, um, but you know, the, the whole supply side argument, I think anyone who, you know, was awake in the 80s would argue that, uh, okay, any effect that might have been that might have come from the supply side policies of Ronald Reagan only resulted in the fact that George H.W. Bush had to turn around and after making an absolute promise to not raise taxes, he had to do it in his term. That's why he ended up, part of why he ended up losing, because the supply side economics of the second four years of Reagan's administration had put America in a hole and its deficit re required tax increases. So, so I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get on the board. On board yeah, but with then I'm the going to jump over. Here's what we'll do. We'll show people out in America how we argue. And then I'm in it. We're at a cocktail party. Clay said that. And then I jump over and I start talking about how Clinton made housing a racial issue right after that. So there's a leftist policy that led to the deconstruction that George Bush had to eventually relate except to that was followed up by Obama, et cetera, Except et cetera. I talked about the economics and you jumped to a social policy. My, my argument was that, that supply-side economics became, was not effective because George H.W. Bush had to raise taxes when supply-side and trickle-down economics didn't work. George H.W. Bush had to raise taxes. And then you responded to it by a so using a social argument about no, making ha housing a race economic, issue. But the social argument was linked to an economic policy. The hyper-accommodation of trying to, look, we're a country of equal opportunity, not equal outcome. And the more that we try to de-risk America for the conservative point of view, the more that we weaken. So it's a rough and tumble place. I got a kid in here in my office, 22 years old. I couldn't hire anybody because everybody is so comfortable on the uh, teat, no offense, <laughs> on the teat out there that all the talent pool was gone. Well, this guy, he came in here, he's crushing it. He's coming early, he's leaving late because he got an opportunity and he's showing up. Everybody's saying, hey, I'm too comfortable in EDD or PPP or THC or whatever they're doing. You know, I mean, they're hyper-dependency or over-accommodate. And all of my um, powerful black friends don't want, don't want Juneteenth. They don't want critical race theory. They don't want 6919. So the more we try to make Is there something America you could give, though? Is there part that you could give? Because I did want to ask about this when it came to the voting rights bill. Yes, sir. And, and, and so... Juneteenth this week, critical race theory. Is there a point where anyone says, you know what? Tell you what. Get rid of, stop, stop pushing critical race theory because I know that Republicans have made it a huge talking point. And I don't think it's as big as a problem as it's been made out to be, but I personally also disagree with it. So I don't think, I personally am not a person who thinks that that needs to be taught. But I wonder to myself, okay, could you say, you know what? If you get rid of that, 
make Juneteenth a holiday. That's perfectly fine. Could you, are you, would you be okay with that? Is there room for compromise in any of this at all? You know, it's, uh, Wonderful, and, and it's an honor to be here, and painful about this conversation. Uh, I really want uh, politics in America to uh, put the people first and party second. I'm an American, you know, and half, by the way, I do Why live in LA. Most painful? My best friends, <laughs> my, best, my best friends are, um, I'm in Los Angeles. Many of my best friends are uh, liberals. And I do want to see people leading, you know, to the middle and putting America's uh, consensus first. But the problem is, Clay, we, we have less consensus. There used to be there was a group in the middle of America. And Larry Elder said this. He said, hey, if, you're, if you feel like your party le- left you, he said, you didn't leave. The party left. You know, it's, it's been so polarized is it just, right is now. it really tough for you to answer the question though <laughs> i mean i just want to know could you say okay to something in exchange for something else yeah I but mean, that's my point P- people should be doing this i agree with you people should be doing logical trade-offs that's okay we, so if we, joe manchin offers i mean this this sort of blew my mind this morning because i when i heard that stacy abrams had supported joe manchin's compromise to the voter ID bill. I was not paying attention to the news yesterday for obvious reasons. Um, I just learned this morning that Stacey Abrams herself came out and supported Joe Manchin's compromise, or at least said that she would back it. Um, but immediately Republicans and Mitch McConnell and Roy Blunt called it the Stacey Abrams uh, voter uh, rights package, and they said they would not vote for it. And I thought, wait a second. Democrats are like Stacey Abrams are now okay with a nationwide voter ID requirement, because that's what's in Joe Manchin's bill, purging of the voter rolls and a nationwide voter ID requirement, which Democrats have been screaming against for years, voter ID. Um, But Joe Manchin's compromise allows for a nationwide voter ID package in exchange for ending gerrymandering and mandating early access to voting. It is... Almost a bill that, and I'm pretty willing to be moderate on some of these things, but it's almost a bill that I thought, damn, purging voter rolls, allowing voter ID, that's a lot to swallow. But he got Democrats to swallow, and Republicans won't do that. I'm like, you'll never get voter ID laws nationwide any other way. Why not take it? Why can't people compromise? If, Democrat, if Joe Manchin can bring the Democrats to the table on this, why can't he get 10 Republicans to say, okay, we'll vote with it also? Okay, well, what did he actually say? So he said, here's what McConnell said. Senate Democrats seem to have reached a so-called compromise election takeover among themselves. In reality, the plan endorsed by Abrams is no compromise. It still subverts the First Amendment to supercharge cancel culture and the left's name and shame campaign model. It takes redistricting away from state legislators and hands it over to computers it still retains S1's rotten core and assault on the fundamental idea that states, not the federal government, should decide how to run their own elections. So no, they don't, you know, we don't want to federalize. But it looks like you're looking to me. I, it sounds to me like you're looking for things to disagree with instead of looking for things to agree with. No, I because agree you with just said your second ago. Because you just said a minute ago, you mentioned that particular um, uh, organization where it identified three major problems, and one of them, which I think we agree on, was partisan gerrymandering, right? This bill, would I, do I think that voter ID is 
something that we should require nationwide? No. But would I give it in order to get rid of partisan gerrymandering? Fuck yes. Sorry for cussing. Bleep it out if you want to. Absolutely, I'd give it in order to get rid of partisan gerrymandering. That is sort of how politics used to work. It certainly worked that way between Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. It even worked that way at times between Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton. I mean, even they got stuff done. I mean, holy crap. Imagine that. But why is it that the perfect becomes the enemy of the good for both parties? But in this particular instance, it sounds like the perfect becomes the enemy of the good for Mitch McConnell. Is he afraid, perhaps, that if he allows, if he actually votes for voter ID, he won't have anything to bitch about anymore? I mean, you're getting a huge piece of what you said you wanted for years. Hey, the, the actual president-elect is probably the issue. I mean, you just said Newt Gingrich and Tip O'Neill. Nancy Pelosi is a very difficult character to make peace in our nation. I mean, you have to look a little bit further into the party structure. It's very, very, it's war for her, man. I think she is, if they're rhinos, she's a dino. How did we get on her? I'm just asking about this Senate thing. How did we, I mean, that's, that is another, okay, so we've, uh, hypocrisy, absolutism, and then like, distracting from the actual argument. I wouldn't say distracting me. at all. You if just if we're talking up. about a Senate, no, I'm, yeah, but I'm talking about a Senate bill. I'm talking about Joe Manchin. I'm talking about Mitch McConnell. On um, S1. On right. S1, which is Senate 1. So Nancy right. Pelosi isn't involved with that. If they pass it, then we can have the argument, have me on your show. If they pass it in the Senate and Nancy Pelosi holds it up, then I'll be happy to tell you sure. right now. Okay, fine. I'm telling screw you that. But I agree. I mean, listen, why do we have to fed? Look, the system's worked for so long. It didn't work during COVID with mail-in ballots as far as we're concerned. It opened up uh, a lot of weakness to the system. Right now, what, what is Mitch doing? He's pushing back for more refinements. This is politics. So if we were on the show in two weeks, there might be another moderate resolution. We'll see. You're reacting, though, to the middle of the political process, which we both know is extreme and bombastic. I... I'll tell you something I've learned, Clay, and you've been doing this, uh, I don't know, I've been doing this like seven years. Um, Probably similar kind of conversion time, I think. We started seeing each other around uh, Politicon a long time ago. I don't take it personally, uh, but my take is, uh, my original show was conservatively unplugged. It was like a a lighthearted take on The Daily Show. And we pitched it all around Hollywood and people are like, this is great, there's a lot of people out there, but there's no way people are gonna like uh, watch a Republican show. Republicans, and I went to the Republicans and I said, hey, this is us making fun of ourselves. They're like, no way, we're not gonna do that. So I just don't think that country exists and I don't think it's personal as the system rolls through. You're gonna win your points of view. You're gonna alienate the base. We're gonna take you out during the midterms. It's gonna flip over in power. Same thing's gonna happen at the end. It's historically written in the books. Guys like you and I are at this time in history when it's really big tech and social media have grabbed these issues. So what can I say to this issue? It's politics as usual. Uh, but it is a major issue. It, are, I mean, we're talking about constitutionally shifting more power to the federal government, which conservatives are always going to stand against. Are there any things that your party says or does right now that make you concerned at all that they might not win back certain things that w- might not win certain races in the midterms that they could have won had they done it a different way? For example, I'll, I'll give shit to my own party. I 
agreed with Abigail Spanberger back in the day that if we hung, clung tight to defund the police, that we would end up losing a lot of seats. And perhaps we did um, because of, you know, the defund the police argument. I love my team, but part of loving my favorite team is criticizing them when they play a bad game. So are there ways that you can look at the Republican Party right now and say, if we don't get our sh- together on this particular issue or in this state or in this area, we're going to end up not picking up the House come the midterms? Well, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of contention over a lot of different areas. So uh, I, I think I would I would answer that more. Uh, it's difficult for me. You know, I, I'll tell you why I kind of check the box. You're smart enough to know what but you're smart enough to know what plays to to American audiences. I mean, you have your I own am, show, you write, write books that say, sell. Look, so I, I so you know this. what will work and what won't, I assume or believe. So what is the party not doing right? Maybe. What is the problem? Party what is, not what, doing what, right? what, what, if anything, do you think? The, I, I could list several things, perhaps, if, 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 if I were being interviewed. <laughs> when I come to your show, you can ask me this, that the Democrats, I think, need to do better at. What do Republicans need to do better at if they want to win, if they want to unseat Raphael Warnock in uh, 22, if they want to win um, the open seat here in North Carolina in 22? What do Republicans have to make sure they don't screw up? I mean, I appreciate the question. It almost puts it out like, am I aware of every issue in every state? But I would say more so. Look, man, uh, in this battle, I think it's just going to be it's going to be a real battle of anything that panders to the concept. The big trap for us has been racism. The big trap. I mean, I think the thing that we have to do is we have to continue to pivot. You're going to say I'm not answering a question. But I think we have to pivot away from race and we have to not embrace it. I think we have to not legitimize a lot of the claims that are going around. Um, the How do you Republicans think they're being legitimized? Overall, one of the things that maybe we're, we're missing is, is showing people that we really are. We, you know, we liberated the slaves, as, as, as Trump said, what Juneteenth is really about, what our vision is for America, what, that we really care more about the middle class. This, these things probably incense you because you won't agree. No, I'm but not. I I, listen, we, I, we got to talk to the middle of America and say, you know, we see, are that's the a problem. Party of the only America. problem I have with that is the fact that you believe you know what I would think because I, I that's that's valid. That's valid. I don't that's know valid. what I actually don't know that I disagree with that. I think, and I'm not going to say you didn't answer the question because you very well, you very much did. You said that you think that Republicans need to do a better job of not validating Democrats' arguments about race and. Sure. I mean, I'm not a Republican. I can't. And just leading and focusing on care. Look, here's what here's the one thing I've always said is to my my Democrat friends. I go, we care. We both care. We care differently. We're caring country. We are a compassionate, conscious, caring country. Capitalistic as well. I'll throw another C in there, which is imbued with so much amazing freedom. There's an amazing uh, book that I quoted in my article. I just darn it. I don't have it right in front of me. But they said, if you take us 50 years ago to now, we're absolutely, we're absolutely winning uh, the game of evolving as a culture. But, you know, I try to focus on the positivity of, um, you know, here it is. Enlightenment now, the case for reason, science, humanism, and progress. As we care more about humanity, we're apt to mistake the harms around us for signs of how low the world has sunk rather than how high our standards have risen. And I end my article, I say, take hope, live in gratitude, trust the divine. For everything, there is a season. Be patient. 
And I think that you and I are in a game, a bombastic game. How much do I want my immune system and my mind and my business and my family talking about politics? I don't. My dad said this. He said something beautiful. He said, hey, son, if government's really working left or right, you're not going to hear about it that much. And I think we've lost that, you know, but you and I, we want to hear about it because we want to keep the issues on the, on the surface. I'm just trying to, I'm going to look extremely hard right to you because I'm trying to poke holes in the negative parts of the liberal thought balloon. You're trying to poke holes in the negative parts of the conservative thought balloon that may be unconscious to the refinements of care. And, you know, that's a tragedy. But unfortunately, as warriors, you and I can't go out after the rugby game and have a, a, a beer together, but maybe today we did. Listen, and I think one of the things, you, I agree with that, people who can't see us because they can only hear us, I can tell you both Judd and I have smiled throughout this entire discussion, so we're not arguing with each other out of, out, out of anger. We are certainly disagreeing, but not being disagreeable at any point, and I do think that most people should try a little harder to do that in the future. I also will point out one thing that you said earlier in the show um, when, you, when we were talking about the structure of our government, and you said that you were talking about how it takes a long time to turn the ship, and you did say, whether you meant to or not— um, <laughs> You said that neither party is going to make huge, drastic changes and be able to destroy anything in this country because of our system. Um, and so I would just argue that all of us, all of us, not talking specifically just to you, Judd, but to everyone, we've got to do a better cho job of remembering that and not screaming that the sky is falling every time we disagree with someone. And I think that both sides um, could probably do that better. I have a whole bunch of questions from, um, from listeners who knew this was going to be a really good and exciting uh, show. We probably can't get to too many of them now because I've run my own mouth a lot this time. But Travis from Reno asks you, Judd, should conservatives still back our Department of Justice and other law enforcement institutions? You know, it's really scary. It's not as evident to the left. You know, I think we've got a greater problem, Travis. And the problem is, is that it seems like the elites left and right are untouchable. So, you know, when did Hillary get persecuted? When did Trump get persecuted? Let's look at everybody. Let's look at was the DOJ weaponized and, and and it's on record in Mueller. Were there politics in our justice system? Justice is no longer fully blind. So, you know, as we were talking about the three branches of our government, I hope that both left and right put in more scrutiny of depoliticizing justice. We have to keep this lady blind, man. If not, you know, Russia, I, I commented on Newsmax about Putin yesterday, and they wanted me to throw a bone to say, you know, when Putin talked about Capitol Hill, I could see it coming in the article. It's careful. You don't want to get caught up in red meat when you're on, when you're on too far on the left or right or blue meat, right? And I said, hey, look, Russia has had a long a, a train of abuses and usurpations, and they don't deal with it. But America has, a has an usurpation or abuse, and we do deal with it. That's the difference between us and Russia. So Biden, he can say whatever he said about us in Capitol Hill. You know, I thought it was a valid point because there's some imbalances in the justice system, but America resolves them. We don't keep abusing our people. So, you know, I think it's a really important time. Let's cast consciousness on this as both parties. Okay, Kate from Washington, D.C. asks, it seems like social media regulates our politicians more than the other way around. 
Despite the value of money as speech, did Citizens United make our politicians even more viable than before? Well, you know, if you understand, like I, I, I've gotten, I'm sure you have too, have gotten to know a few uh, senators and congressmen. You know, when they go in, they throw a book down and they say, here is your constituents in your district that funds your district from the prior period. And four hours of your day is kissing, uh, you can bleep my, this will be my bleep, is kissing ass. And that's the issue with finance out there. So they've already got this issue, pandering to money. And that's something else that we need to continue to resolve is campaign finance and super PACs and influence. I'd love to see more, and Represent Us does a good job of that. Um, Social media, look, I, I, was, I was in for the, I, I think we should break them up. I, I think Jack Dorsey has too much uh, influence on our, our nation. I think Zuckerberg, they're free corporations. So you're going to see a lot of conservatives eating their words because we're like, oh, free markets. And, but they were saying, but regulate Facebook. But they are predominantly uh, restricting. Now, Clay might argue with me that says some of the statistics can actually say that they, they, they restrict equally across the, the sides. But it does feel to us that they've really been, uh, it's a lot harder to get out your, your music if you're to the right. Okay. Henry from Pittsburgh. I'm going to make this the last one because I want to come back to something else. Henry from Pittsburgh asks, do you ever worry that being vocal about politics is a business risk? I want to speak out, but I worried that I'd have to drop everything just to defend my beliefs from the mob. This interview is sponsored by, no, I'm kidding. I won't <laughs> so it's interesting. I, I, I got my first radio show, um, KABC 790. Uh, I start on the 28th, Clay. I'm excited. We'd love to have you on. It'd be an honor and a pleasure. And um, I've got eight weeks till why the Trojans are gone because of COVID. And uh, after Sh uh, Shapiro and Knowles, you know, um, I'm, we're talking about putting my brand out there because I'm in real estate. Well, at Capitol Hill, uh, I had multiple employees fire me because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm open about election integrity. And uh, then I had a number of investors cancel me. Uh, then I've had permits on my house suddenly get all called in and under scrutiny. I mean, I've really taken some hits. And to be honest, our show, if you go to our show, our show used to be like thousands and thousands. Every time I get on Facebook, I get canceled and I go to jail after I post three times. I used to be able to post to like 2 million people in like 80 groups. So I'm shut down since that event. So I've really actually experienced, I'm not paranoid about it. Um, I've seen my views go up and down. We, YouTube, we're, we're massively restricted. We're scrambling to other platforms. So it's nice that I've been out through radio and television recently. So it's a really, it's a really serious issue. Uh, but for me, you know, I decided to make the call. And um, you know what? Uh, the people that love you st stuck around and they actually appreciate and are grateful to you. But if, if politics isn't that important to you, you know, I would say affect change in, in areas that uh, can't harm you as much. We've, we've been harmed a lot. And, you know, people have been harmed for many years. I'm sure Clay was just talking about the consequences in his culture for being a moderate. So it is, it is part of the equation, without doubt. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Henry, I'll tag on to this a little bit, because it sounds like you did say it is a business risk, or it can be a business risk. Um, but uh, you have to, he, he, Henry's worrying he'd have to drop everything, I guess, business-wise, to defend his belief from the mob. Um, yeah, sure, I've had people hate me, but you know what? I stopped giving a shit. <laughs> Amen. Oh Amen. God, there's too much going on to, uh, there's too many, there's too many individual voices shouting from every single, um, not even corner because they're all over Twitter and I have absolutely no time to satisfy each and every 
one of the 330 million Americans um, in this country. So I'm going to just satisfy myself and my family and those around me. I want to ask you real quickly, though, because of Kate's question about Citizens United. Did I couldn't quite hear your thoughts. I know your thoughts on gerrymandering, which was a part of um, the... Tell me the name of the organization again. Sorry. Uh, represent Us. Represent so, Us. So your position on Citizens United was is what? You know, look, man, I mean, uh, I think every court, every extreme position that, you know, can be taken, uh, there's so many different, like, I okay, you sound like you're running for office now. Just tell me, you yeah. don't like campaign finance reform. How do you feel about citizens? You don't like campaign finance issues. You think that campaign finance needs to be reformed. How do you feel about Citizens United? Uh, Look, I, I, I don't really have a problem. I, I feel like they, they have a right and a position to put forth what they put. That's my point. It's like as long as they, as the, as long as they want to stand in their position within our system, I, I support every and any voice that's going to come into the process. That's my. But that's campaign finance reform. So what would campaign finance reform look like then? Do we, do we think there's too much money in politics or not enough or what? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, no, where do I stand on that? Sir, look, I'm, I'm standing, but as I said, Gosh, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit because I don't want to contradict myself. Um, I want to win. <laughs> Is that okay? Clay? Well, listen, at least, you're, at least you're honest about it. Hey. I want to win. So I'm, I'm a hypocrite in the degree that right now the war is so intense, I want to win. And whatever super PACs get us there, whatever gets us there, I think the left wants to win. And you guys have really been showing us that it's not politics as usual. We're at war. Let's end the show with that. And right now, I'm okay with the war that's on because we're going to keep rotating power, and that is secure. If I didn't think power was going to keep rotating, I wouldn't. So I'm okay with it. But in the long run, I would like to see all campaign, campaign finance limited, and I'd like to see it be done publicly in only a recorded forum, and that's kind of what Represent Us says. It'd be interesting to keep drawing back out the influence of money. Well, I will, I will, I will both give you a laugh a little bit because I think that's a funny position in a way, but I'll give you mad props for at least being honest about the fact that what you want, what you think will improve our, com- our country, limiting campaign finance and making it public and ending gerrymandering, those things are absolutely necessary, and I totally agree with you, and I'll give you big props for at least being frank and honest enough to say, but not right now, because I want to win first. So That's good right. for you. I appreciate that. And <laughs> I, I respect that type of, I respect that type of honesty and hypocrisy. Um, <laughs> I want to tell people to check out um, 13 and a half reasons not to be a liberal and how to enlighten others. Um, even if you don't agree, maybe there'll be some ways that maybe you can, uh, you sit in there, you read the book and you think, okay, at least I can see what the argument's going to be so I can prepare my response to it. Um, because Judd has uh, given some folks um, on his side of the aisle arguments to make and ways to have discussions with their liberal family. And I like to know if my mom's going to read this, because I'm certain she will. Um, I'm certain she will love it. Uh, I would like to know what arguments she's going to be coming at me with. And so I think you should check it out if you are uh, a conservative who talks to a lot of liberals. And check out Judd's um, show. Uh, Tell us where we can see Unapologetic with Judd Denning. Thank you so much. Uh, If you go to Bullet Point Nation, Bullet Point Nation, Bullet Point Nation, you'll see Unapologetic and our other show with Michael Loftus of Fox. 
It's called, uh, bull, uh, it's called Bullet Point Nation with, with, with Michael and I. And Unapologetic is more of our comedy ride. And then you can also see our articles there and all of our media appearances. So it'd be an honor to have uh, you know, all, all views come on. Okay, bullet point, you're, you definitely know you got a marketing background because you said it three times. Good. Bullet point nation, <laughs> is it dot com? Yes, sir. Bulletpointnation.com, bulletpointnation.com, bulletpointnation.com. Judd Denning, how the heck are we going to get along? You know, Clay, uh, thank you for this conversation. Um, I have a friend who calls me up. He goes, I just saw you on the news and I threw up in my mouth. How are you? <laughs> so, look, man, uh, you got to have a sense of humor. You got to love each other. Like America is, I think we wake up every day with gratitude because we may have a polarized system, but man, we have an amazing standard of life. We are, this is a highly polarized, but amazing free country. You got great artists like you making great music about love and life, bro. We have so much, we have so much to be grateful for. So start with gratitude, have a sense of humor and do what you can and be honest about being a hypocrite and wanting to win. <laughs>